It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Welcome to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Well, Fleetwood Mac is, is right. Monday morning, you sure look fine, Iowa, because tomorrow morning, Monday morning, is the Iowa caucuses, the long, 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 long-awaited <laughs> beginning of the primary season. How long? And, and you better pay close attention because it'll be over in a few weeks, um, or a few hours. Uh, Donald Trump is going to absolutely clean the, everybody's clock tomorrow in Iowa, uh, even though the temperature for tomorrow is going to be minus one degree Fahrenheit. But don't be sorry, that's a heat wave. Today it's minus seven degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dick Morris. Hello. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the Iowa caucuses are going to be conducted in this horrible freezing weather which I think would be good for Trump. I think his people are very committed and very dedicated, and uh, love is stronger than hate, so we'll see who turns out. But the lovers are the haters, but my bet is the lovers will. Good. So the latest poll from Iowa, conducted by the Des Moines Register, their newspaper, which is an historically very accurate poll. It's like never been wrong. And uh, even when Cruz beat... Trump in Iowa eight years ago, and nobody predicted that. They predicted it. So I pay a lot of attention to their poll. And it came out today, and it's Trump 48, Haley 20, and DeSantis 17, and Rama what's-his-name 6. <laughs> uh, the uh, so, so Trump is, is really surging and is remaining very far and solid in first place. So Monday morning, you sure look fine in Iowa. Now, let's just spend a moment talking about each of the campaigns. Trump's campaign was fantastic because from the very start of the campaign, he did not just run on his record. He cited his record, he alluded to it, but he kept making new proposals and ideas because the problem you always have with a guy in a position like Trump is what are you going to do differently? Okay, you know, we, we know the history, but a campaign can't be a history lesson. What are you going to do now to cope with the problems we have? And from the very beginning, he laid out a very broad, very bold program. If you want to see it all, just go to DonaldTrump.com and then click on and there are all these, there are about 50 videos that he did 
that really explain what his candidacy is about and what he's planning to do. And it was very specific and, and very good that he did that. One of the ones that is my particular favorite is that he said he's going to create an American academy, which is going to be an alternative to left-wing colleges and graduate schools. <clears throat> and their credential uh, will be very good. It'll be accepted every place. Just to be sure it's accepted every place. Trump will require that federal contractors and agencies accept it. And it's going to offer baccalaureate, masters, and even PhDs. And the idea of it is to get away from the leftist skew of the universities. If you want to be a lawyer, you don't have to go to Harvard or go to Yale. You can go to the American Academy. And in that academy, there's no political bias. There's no uh, woke bias. And uh, and I think it's, it's a fabulous proposal. And he's going to fund it by taxing the endowments of American universities. Oh, this is great. I love this. Harvard's endowment, for example, went from, I think, $5 billion to $80 billion in the last 10 years. And he's going to tax that. Uh, and uh, a bunch of candidates picked up on his proposal. But they're taxing the stuff, taxing it, it for different things. But the idea of taxing those endowments is so good. Now, Haley's campaign... <clears throat> And DeSantis's both were plagued by the same problem, which is they can't, they couldn't figure out why they were running. Uh, that's the first thing a candidate has to say. And to say you're running because you're not Donald Trump is, is, is not a good rationale for the candidacy, especially when you're not willing to attack Donald Trump, uh, because you want his votes and you want to get people who like Donald Trump to vote for you. So Haley had to explain why you should vote for her, not for Trump, even though she didn't dislike Trump and even though she didn't cite reasons that are bad for Trump. It was just that I'm better. And DeSantis had the same problem. So they were caught between an anti-Trump campaign that they didn't dare wage right. and a pro-Trump campaign, which would obviate the reason for their candidacy. And the question would then be, why the hell should we vote for you? So what they were doing was trying to distinguish themselves from Trump. <clears throat> and apart from gender, there was no obvious distinction. Uh, they were all conservative. They all took more or less the same positions on the issues. They were all Republican. And they could not craft a difference. They couldn't say, I'm running because I believe in A and Trump is running because he believes in B. To the extent that there was any difference between them, it's that Haley is really a bit of a rhino. Haley is, uh, for example, in South Carolina, of all the governors in the country, South Carolina was designated by impartial sources as the one closest to China, the one that does the most trade deals with the PRC, the one that is most accommodating to them. And that's not a good award to get in America today. Uh, she was the first one to reach out to China and to get China to move a ball bearing factory uh, into South Carolina and uh, several auto assembly plants where the parts were made in China uh, were moved to South Carolina and uh, constituted a big part of Nikki Haley's legacy for economic development. 
And she boasted about all that stuff, but then it backfired as voters realized what China entailed. And China began to behave in a way where it was clear that they were seeking global hegemony. So, this, and, and to the extent that she's differing from Trump, she, or DeSantis is differing, he said that he wants no abortions after six weeks. And Trump says this is a decision left to the states. The whole point of Roe v. Wade is that you could have a different rule in Mississippi than you have in New York, because that's what the people of those states believe in and what they want. And he rejected the idea of a seven-week or six-week uh, abortion ban that was called the fetal heartbeat law. And the problem is that at six weeks or five weeks or seven weeks, a lot of people don't really know that they're pregnant or they've just learned it in the last few hours. And their turnaround time isn't exactly what it should be, and they don't have an abortion, and they end up missing the deadline. The other big difference on the issues also works against Haley and against DeSantis. Both of them fell for the line pushed by Congressman Ryan um, when he was the Speaker of the House. And Ryan said that he believed that the key thing was to curb entitlement spending and that we were running out of money in the Social Security Trust Fund and in the Medicare Trust Fund. <clears throat> and they said, and Ryan said, what we should do is we should uh, delay the retirement age at least to 70, match it to life expectancy, and then also to uh, change the calculation of the cost of living adjustment so that it was much lower, and in fact based on income, not on wage, based on, on wages, not on prices. That's a, uh, that's a technical difference, mm -hmm. but, and not worth talking about, but it would lower the cost of living adjustment. Mm -hmm. So Nikki Haley and DeSantis both proposed two big cuts in Social Security, which Trump opposes. To give you an idea, each year you increase the retirement age, reduces the benefits when you do retire by 7%. So if she's matching life expectancy, uh, as she suggested, uh, that's now up to uh, 74, 73. So you raise the retirement age by eight years, and you're cutting benefits by 56%. Uh, horrible. So those were the only differences between Trump on the one hand and Haley and DeSantis on the other. And the other differences were style. And obviously the voters of Iowa liked Trump's style. They liked what he did. They certainly liked his accomplishments. And Haley was, and, and DeSantis were chasing after, uh, and, um, fighting a cloud when they said that there were differences between them. So there was no reason for either of them to run. And the only reason that remained was obviously personal ambition. And, uh, that's scarcely a way to, to motivate someone to vote for him. In what way personal ambition, if not going to get the presidency? I want to be president. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I so, want to be president. For real, seriously? I want to be president. I want to play. Wah! Elect me president. I want to play. It's my ball, uh, Much you know deserving, much more deserving than that Donald, what's his name? That was the basis of the campaign. Wow, that's interesting. That, that now, even though they know they're not going to win, it's just now Chris Christie had a basis for his campaign. That was very different. The basis for his campaign was "I hate Donald Trump." Right. 
and I can't stand him, and he committed the ultimate sin, which is that he did not put me on his ticket, uh, and he didn't run me for vice president, even though I went out there and kicked and gouged and <laughs> did, did everything he could uh, to help his election, except in 2016, when Trump didn't nominate him, he basically turned on Trump and uh, decided to be the anti-Trump candidate. And that was not a basis for running in a state that's overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. So neither of these candidates articulated a reason to run, what they call a raison d'etre. Why do you exist? Why are you running? In the absence, all kinds of other motivations come in. Uh, You're to the left of him. You're to the right of him. Uh, you you don't like his personality. You're a man. He's a, you're a woman. Yeah, right. Uh, and and these are just not good reasons to vote for somebody. So, I believe that the problem these campaigns had is that at the start of it, they sat down with their consultants and said, "Okay, how much money can I raise? Well, that's good. How many endorsements can I get? Well, that's good." And they never asked the third question, which is, "Why the hell am I running?" And what do I talk about when I articulate my candidacy? And the result was that there was nothing you could articulate. It, uh, it, there was nothing you could say. And that has caught up with them. And uh, that's why the, their campaigns are floundering. It's why Trump is surging. And Trump is going to win Iowa tomorrow by a very large margin. That doesn't mean he can stay home. Minus one degree Fahrenheit. Get your ass out there and vote. And uh, this, the future of the country depends upon it, but you. But but the there is no reason to vote for one of the other candidates. This is the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Hello, Dick Morris. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. You know, all over America, the political experts are all asking the same question. Okay, we get it that there's been a big population shift uh, from blue states to red states. We get it that 1.2 million people left California in the last three years and 950,000 people left New York State in the last three years. And we get it that over a million of them moved to Florida and slightly less than a million of them moved to Texas. But the question we don't have the answer to is will these voters, as they flee blue states and arrive in red states, keep their identity as, as, as Democrats? Will they remain blue in a red state or will they change their coloration to match the state? Right. They leave a state that they're not happy with because of the political crapola, and then they want to change the state they moved to to the state they moved yeah. out of. Their hands are dirty. I had to think about it. Their hands are dirty, but they still clean them on a clean towel, and then are amazed that the towel gets dirty. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, so hit it, uh, Matt. And don't it make my brown eyes blue? I'll be fine when you're gone. So does moving make the blue vote, the blue eyes red? Well, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see about that. But the stats are in, and they're very convincing, and they're very important. In Florida, which is the state that has received the most migrants from the north, uh, in, 19, in 2021, the start of Biden's term, there were 97,000 more Democrats than Republicans in Florida. Now, there are 698,000 more Republicans than Democrats, a swing of almost a million voters. Uh, unbelievable. So these states are not the same states as the ones Trump either narrowly carried or Trump lost. They're totally new states, and the new people who've come in are changing the state. The state is not changing them. Arizona lost 50,000 Democrats since 2021. Wow. North Carolina lost 180,000 Democrats. So when you look at the elections coming up in 2024, it's not like Trump is running in the same country that he ran in in 2020. These states have all moved substantially and dramatically to the right. And the new migration patterns have set up a totally new state and a totally new environment. And Well, wait, hold, where do these Dems go? You said the, the pe- people are switching or they're getting outvoted. Oh, and you said lost. They didn't just get up and move. No, many they of them lost left. Them. Many right. of them sh- switched. Right, switched. And many of the, the ones that didn't switch were outvoted by the influx of new Republicans. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, it's so that these are very different states. And you can't look at 2020 and say uh, that's where Trump's baseline, because it's not. It's like he ran in France the first time, and now he's right. running in the United what, States. What do you, how do you feel about the swing states? Well, Arizona's swing states, Well, right? the swing states I talked about, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina. Right, you can't right, get right. more swing than those. Right. And the other states where we don't have that data, it's because they don't register by party. And uh, you don't know how they're voting until they vote, but the same trends are going to be true in each of those states. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the reasons for my deep confidence that Biden is on his way out and Trump is on his way in is the fundamental changes in the demographics of these states. While we're on this, let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hi, Hello, Sandra. Sandra. Finally got your name right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Well, you know, being very excited about your new book, Corrupt, and the inside story of Biden's dark money, I have a question. I wrote it down, so it's a little bit long, but not that long. So I'm going to read it to you, and maybe you can answer some of it. When Biden was vice president, selling out America and making himself, his sons, and his family very wealthy, where was Obama? How is it possible that Obama didn't know? Did Obama look the other way since he was busy getting very rich on his own? How is this possible? Michelle Obama may want to throw her hat in the presidential ring, but he would not accept migrants in Martha's Vineyard. How could she possibly run, never noticing Biden was fleecing the United States? This is my question. Okay, well, gotcha. Good question. All, Great question. All eight, all five chapters of it. <laughs> <laughs> but she's so worth it. 
Uh, the uh, I think yeah. What was what was Obama doing? The, the big thing that Obama did that directly contributed to the corruption of the Biden administration. While oh oh okay, go on. Is that he designated Joe Biden, his vice president, to be in charge of certain key countries? Uh, he said, "Don't talk." To, he said to his staff, "Don't talk to me about Eastern Europe." Uh, Joe Biden is in charge of that. He's in charge of Ukraine and Poland and all those countries, and our relationships with them go through him. You have to remember that a vice president really doesn't have any assigned duties in the Constitution. He just shows up and presides over the Senate, and if there's a tie, he breaks the tie. But his beginning really in, in, in earnest in the Clinton administration, Vice President Gore was assigned certain tasks by Clinton, and they were very extensive. He was in charge of climate change, in charge of, uh, of, of home, home, um, of tax credits for, uh, for being parents and having children, uh, family leave. He was in charge of internet, in charge of science and technology. Oh, you're talking about Gore right now, right? Gore, yeah. He oversaw the space program, a lot of stuff like that. And it was funny. Once Clinton assigned something to Gore, <clears throat> I didn't dare talk about that in front of Clinton without first clearing what I said with Gore. Really? He would ask me to, before every meeting, go through the topics I was going to cover. And if one of them was within his purview that Clinton had once assigned him, but he wouldn't let me talk about it unless he cleared what I said in advance. I could see that, no? Well, yeah, but it was very territorial. Yeah. And, uh, and then gradually as Gore approached his own candidacy for president, the turf he was in charge of got bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Unfortunately, none of it ever related to Bill Clinton's personal morality. <laughs> but um, in public policy, it was bigger and bigger. So when Obama told Biden, you're in charge of Eastern Europe, and don't tell me about corruption in Ukraine, uh, Biden's going to deal with that, and in Romania, and all of these countries... And then he said, Biden is going to handle our relations with China. And Biden, the, the Biden knew that. And Hunter went through that opening and set up all these corrupt business deals that he could not have set up without, uh, without the clear understanding that they were part of Biden's political turf, that the vice president had been assigned to do that. And, and uh, there was payola involved. Well, yeah, that, that there was. Absolutely, yes. And it's not at all clear that Obama knew that he was being bribed. Yes, yeah, sure. But it is clear that he was being bribed, and it is clear that the grant of power that enabled him to be bribed came from Obama. And it's becoming more clearer and clearer. Yeah. Right now. If, I mean, if they told him, you're in charge of our relations with France, uh, that wouldn't have done much. Right, he would have got wine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so really the answer to your question, Sandra, is that what, what Obama did was enable Biden to steal by giving him tasks and functions to perform. We still don't know if he knew that there was bribery. There's some evidence that he did. You mean Obama, you don't, we don't know if Obama, if Obama knew. Yeah, knew that yeah that, that doesn't bribery. matter anyway. Yeah. I mean, right. it would be nice if he knew to get, get him thrown in jail also, but. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to George in Pennsylvania. Hi, George. Hey, George. Mr. Morris. Yes. Mr. Morris, distinguished, distinguished panel, expanding audience. 
Um, <laughs> we gotta, we have to face the facts that the establishment who truly runs this country, uh, they want to change the country. They want to flood the country with millions upon millions of illegals in this country. Absolutely. Legally coming in, well, yeah, legally coming in with a, over a million a year. And you can see the changes that are happening politically in the country. Um, and the, the establishment wants them here. So if they want them here, they're giving them hotel rooms, medical care, and everything else but, like that. They're telling George, you, you're a far. Look, I finished. You're a foreigner in your own country. Now, yeah, you right. Just brought up Texas. Texas has been invaded. The five biggest cities in Texas are now run by left-wing mayors. Uh, Houston and Austin, Texas, are crime cities now. George, they, I, I need to cut you off. You, you're right. Thank you. It was great. You're, you're correct in everything you said. But Texas was always run by the left, and those four cities always had radical, crazy oh, really? mayors. The politics of Texas, because I ran Ted Cruz's campaigns, are that the four cities, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas, uh, cast about 75% of the vote. And they're very, very, very Democrat. Uh, Trump carried them by large margins. But the other 25% of the state is very conservative. And Trump carried those by like 90 to 10. And that offset it. But nationally, what you're looking at is increased influx of Latinos. But they're not voters yet. They're not citizens. They're not registered. They can't vote, and some will sneak through, but not a massive number. But the massive numbers are the people who are moving to Sunbelt states and taking a new ideology with them. So a little bit of this is like running down an up escalator, uh, even as the country as a whole admits more Latinos and therefore is more susceptible to being Democrat. The people who were Democrats in those states are now becoming Republican. And I believe that the broader trends, and this is the most important thing, George, the broader trends you talk about of Latinos switching to the Republican Party and switching to Trump are going to continue and are going to accelerate. And these folks that are coming in that the Democrats are welcoming and saying, yay, this will make the country liberal and Democrat, will not, because within a few years they're going to go through the same experiences the rest of us have that have turned the brown eyes blue right. of the other folks. Thanks for calling. Right. Beautiful. This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Hello, Dick Morris. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. So we were just talking about the move in national politics to the right and how the, a lot of these states that used to be blue and then became purple are now increasingly red. You look at the states nationally that used to be toss-ups, Iowa, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, all Arkansas, all of those states used to be toss-up states, and now they're all solidly Republican states. And now add to that list Florida, increasingly North Carolina, 
and, believe it or not, Arizona. In fact, about the only state that was really in play in 2020, in which Trump does not have at the moment a decisive lead, is Pennsylvania. Michigan belongs on that list. Uh, Trump carried it by about three votes and, you know, lost it by a small margin. But now the polls all have Trump seven or eight ahead in Michigan. Real breakthrough there. So the only place where the breakthrough really isn't happening yet is Pennsylvania, where they're reporting a dead-even tie. The polls in Nevada are very much conflicted. Some say a big win, some say not. But but that's a corrupt state, right? It's yeah. hard to count that state. Yeah, easy to count <laughs> it if you're doing the counting. <laughs> and, and, um, count the money. Yeah, right. Hey, count the money. Good line. That's from uh, Mel Brooks. <laughs> okay. But the... Um, but the, but the change in these states is amazing. Now, nationally, one of the big measures that I use and a lot of polling people use to determine the national trend is you ask people in the survey, you say, all things being equal, would you vote for the Democrat or the Republican for Congress in your district? That's called the generic ballot. And uh, in 22 the generic ballot was plus three Republican. And that is the margin by which we won the House. Now the margin of the generic polling is plus nine Republican, 48 to 39. And that means a total and complete wipeout of the Democratic Party. Uh, it, it's a it's a margin that exceeds whatever we've seen in the past. And uh, it really just shows a fantastic surge of conservative sentiment. Now, of course, the other question you got to ask is the chicken and the egg question, which came first. Did the Trump popularity and the Biden unpopularity come first and then the swing to the Republican Party? Or did the swing to the Republican Party come first? My own belief is that the swing is not being caused by personalities or by parties, but being caused by issues. You look at what's going on in the country today. And whatever your opinion of it is, one way or another, the biggest thing is the open border and the huge surge of population coming in over the open border, estimated to be about 6 million new illegal immigrants. And then the second thing is the inflation. And each month it ticks up or down. But the point is it's been permanently between more than 3%. And under Trump it was less than 2%. And cumulatively, because these prices never go down, uh, they are up substantially, and particularly in the areas of food and uh, gasoline. And when you look at the core elements of, of inflation, it's up significantly. The dollar as a whole is worth eight. The dollar of 2021 is worth 80 cents today. Think about that. Wow. The dollar of 2021 is worth 80 cents. In, at the beginning of 2024, it'll be less by the end of 2024. And under Trump, the dollar was exactly the same going out as it was coming in. There was zero inflation. So there's that, there's illegal immigration, and then there's crime. <clears throat> and you look at the impotence of the police, the, the uh, handcuffs that are on them, the restraints in their dealing with criminals, and those are all the mega, the mega trends and by, I don't mean MAGA with capitals, but 
they are anyway, the MAGA trends that are really gripping this country. And they are moving America significantly to the right. You know, know, one thing that, you know, people on the left, I I talk to them and they say, oh, no, the economy is doing well. And they, they cite, you know, the news, the fake news stuff. And really what they just have to do is when they go shopping and they come home. That's why we got to get to these people to fill. When you go shopping, you put gas in your car. Well, that's because not the not the, uh, the news media. But that's because this type of economy is designed to deceive people. Inflation itself is designed to deceive people. Right. There's no sign that goes up in your store window that's and it, saying, right. "Hey, meat costs twenty percent more now right. than it did last month." Right. Uh, there simply is a sign saying how much it costs. Kind of like the tolls that you don't know what the toll is going to cost you. Yeah, through. exactly. Right. And and when you get a paycheck from your boss and he says, "Good news, I'm giving you a two hundred dollar raise." Right. He doesn't then add, oh, but the cost of living has gone up by 300, right. so I'm really cutting your pay by 100. <laughs> this, the not funny. inflation not only advances masks, it advances deceptively. And the whole goal of the inflation is not for people to notice that the prices go up. Well, that's why that's- I said when you go to the store and gas and you come home, you have to feel it then. And we, and they say, that digital pricing, you know, the, the code yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was put in, was put on so that they wouldn't, that the cash register workers won't uh, make a mistake. In fact, it was put up in the middle of the big inflation that took place at the beginning of the 1980s, mm-hmm. end of the 70s. That's when the stores phased in uh, digital pricing. Yeah, so and the goal that. of it was to make sure that nobody could tell the real price. In fact... Various states had to sponsor legislation. My wife, Eileen McGann, was one of the forerunners in pressing this. That in addition to doing the code, you had to post the actual price of the product. Right. But the goal of the digital pricing was to make sure people didn't understand how much the price really had gone up. So the whole idea of inflation is to mask it, is to let people feel that they're getting richer when in fact they're getting poorer. And uh, that deception lies at the core of our economy today. So when your friends say the economy is doing really well, right. inflation is good, what they're looking at is, yeah, I have a job, I have a better job, I make more money at my job, but they don't look at the fact that, like idiots, they're running down the up escalator. <laughs> and, they, and, yeah, everything looks like it's changing, but, in fact, it's changing in the other direction. Interesting. And, and that, that's the deceptive nature of an inflationary economy. Man, the well, Dems know how to do it, boy. They got some machine. Let's go to Kathleen and Yonkers. Hey, Yonkers. Hi, Dick. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to make a comment. Sorry, let me just pull over here. Um, about the abortion. And it's not that I'm pro-abortion. It's not that it's about the i'm 66 years old and people that are my age most of the females that i know many of them um had abortions at one time or another and i'm one of the few that didn't so i can't speak on how they feel but i get the impression that they want their daughters to be able to have the same opportunities that they did right and they don't want to feel criminalized by having done it. And I think that might be kind of an um, 
aspect of it that needs to be addressed, whether yeah. it's legal or not, isn't the thing, yeah. but the personal morality of it. Backlash. Well, you, you, make, of it. you make a great point, Kathleen, um, and, and I'm glad you pulled over, but stay pulled over because I'm going to take a little bit to answer your question. Right. I don't want you killed in a traffic accident. Um, the What went on on abortion is, again, a, a deceptive move by the left. You had Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion. Then the court reversed Roe v. Wade. And it didn't make abortion illegal. Uh, it simply said it's up to the states. What Roe v. Wade said, there's a provision in the Constitution that says abortion shall be legal. And nobody could find it because it didn't exist. And after 50 years, the court looked at the document again and said, hey, that provision legalizing abortion, it doesn't exist. And now it's entirely up to the states. And as a result, many of the states were very pro-choice, many of them very pro-life, uh, and many of them had no restrictions or few restrictions on abortion. And now those come back into force, and that's now what is the law. So in some states, you have extreme conservatives who took over, who imposed standards on abortion that were somewhat draconian. For example, Ron DeSantis in Florida opting for heartbeat abortion so that you couldn't have an abortion until after six I wouldn't uh, call it draconian. It's, it's just... It's, well, it is. It's, it's a terrible it's provision. Yeah. But, but, the, but the main point is that 85% of the abortions in the United States take place within the first 15 weeks, within the first trimester. So any ban on abortion that's less than 15 weeks, really is cutting into abortions. But any ban after 15 weeks is really more theoretical than real. Right. And most of the time when there's an abortion after 15 weeks, there's a reason for it, a medical reason for it. Uh, so, so it would not be a huge deal. Now, we're going from the issue of reality to perception. If abortion were made illegal, that would affect so many people. But when abortion is left up to the states, and the states largely don't change their laws, the effect of it is more hypothetical than real. And the issue has moved from the level of real to the level of hypothetical. Uh, if you got pregnant, if you lived in, in a state that had a bad ab a, a draconian abortion law, and if you wanted an abortion, uh, you couldn't get it in that state. Now, of course, the reality is spend a hundred bucks and get on a bus and go to another state. Well, that's when I said the Democrats should put something forward that we will pay for you to but vote. But they don't want state. to. Right. Because okay. they want people to vote against it. Right. Exactly. And, but the idea is that, you know, okay, there's Medicaid abortion where the government pays for the abortion. Right. Well, then there's sort of a step beyond it, which is you have to pay the bus fare to do it. Yeah. And if you can't afford the bus fare, don't get pregnant. Uh, it's, it's not like this is, oh, it's not like this is, uh, this is $10,000 we're talking about. Right. So, the abortion issue has become much more a theoretical issue rather than a real issue. The metaphor I like to use in that for its political effects was during the Vietnam War, everybody was opposed to the war because you could get drafted. You yourself could get drafted. You could be taken out of the life you lead now as a student or as a young professional and be 
dumped in the middle of Vietnam. When Nixon repealed the draft, Vietnam became a theoretical issue. Should we be involved or not? What's the morality of it? What's the common sense of it? And it became a far less important cutting Theoretical edge opposed to what? Real, opposed to real. Right. Uh, it didn't affect your personal yeah. life. Yeah, okay. And that changed the whole nature of the issue, and I think that's what's going on now. Let's go to uh, Andrew in New Jersey. We have a minute left. Hi, Andrew. Hey, yeah, um, also with inflation and abortion, I remember you had had a great quote. You said, are you more likely to go to the grocery store and fill up your car this week, or are you more likely to go for an abortion? Yeah, <laughs> so which right. is more precedent? Right. And I just want to say quick with the Latino vote, you're right. Maybe the immigrants in the short term, they usually vote Democrat, but many Latinos are patriotic yeah. and they're not Marxist. Exactly. And I just want to say with Trump, I know it's not a big issue for him, but the lawsuit, Liz Cheney, is clear slander or defamation when he said go peacefully, patriotically. They cut that out of the hearing. Yeah. They go to another camera angle. Mm-hmm. And did. also she wouldn't allow the Secret Service officers to testify that, but she had the third lady like third hand that he choked them out and assaulted yep. them. you know so yep. he should sue for us for me <laughs> well he i think fight i think he'll me. i think he'll have his attorney general sue <laughs> after he's elected president um <clears throat> but yeah i think i think you're right thank you andrew uh, and thank you for your call This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. If you're a Democrat, the tracking polls and the day-by-day surveys are not really what should induce you to jump out the window. It's rather the the ongoing change in the underlying demographics of the Democratic vote. You may remember for the, from the time I've been on the air with this show, I've been saying there are four pillars that are holding up the Democratic Party. Blacks, Latinos, young people, and single white women. And now three of those pillars are either gone or seriously eroded. And that's what's bringing Biden's vote down. That's what is keeping Trump's vote up. And it's not just something that's going to affect this election. It's something that's going to really permanently change stuff in the United States. A brief history lesson. After slavery, all blacks in America were Republican because the Democrats were all for racism, for slavery, against the Civil War, There were copperheads who took the side of the South in the Civil War, even if they lived in the North. Then in 1932, FDR came along and for the first time reached out to blacks, even though he was a Democrat. He endangered his Southern Democratic support Mm. and did things like have Marian Anderson, the famous black singer, sing at the Lincoln Memorial after the DA Daughters of the American Revolution had banned her. And uh, and he had black people at the White this House. Roosevelt, is that FDR? FDR, FDR. yeah, <clears throat> TR a little bit. He yeah. once had Booker T. Washington at the White House, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was basically FDR. So at that point, blacks began to entertain voting for Democrats, and Truman pushed heavily for civil rights legislation, 
and it was clear that the Republicans were for the legislation, but the Southern Democrats were standing in the way. Then came 1960 and 1964. In 1960, the government locked up Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in Georgia, in Alabama, and uh, Kennedy, John Kennedy, called Coretta Scott King, his wife, to express his sympathy, and Bobby Kennedy called the Attorney General of Alabama and said, I want this guy freed, uh, we don't want him in jail. And that intervention made headlines and influenced the black vote. Then Johnson came along and support and introduced the really effective civil rights and voting rights legislation of 64 and 65. And uh, that passed. And oddly enough, it passed only because it had solid Republican support. You see, back then, the Republicans were all pro-civil rights. The Democrats were split because the Southern Democrats were opposed to it and the Northern Democrats <laughs> were for it. Oh, God. So when the Civil Rights Bill came up for a vote in the United States Senate, the Democrats voted for it maybe um, by 15 votes, something like uh, 35 to 20. The Republicans supported it uh, 50 to 6. There were only six Republicans who voted no. But one of those six was Barry Goldwater, and he was the nominee for president. Ah. And in 1964, you had a clear choice between Lyndon Johnson, who was pushing the Civil Rights Bill, and Barry Goldwater, who was opposing it. And the damage Goldwater did to the Republican Party has lived after him for a 100 years. Up till today. Never recovered from it. Wow. And there's nothing Republicans could do to convince blacks that they were not racist, they had not opposed it, opposed the Civil Rights Bill, and and there was nothing they could do to convince them of Just that. Just because of the one guy. Because of the one guy, yeah, exactly. And uh, then, now, for the first time, there's been a swing back the other way. Uh, in 2020, Joe Biden got 87% of the black vote. Now he's getting 63%. Huge change. That's amazing. And in 2020, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Republicans were getting 12.5% of the black vote. Now they're getting upwards of 25. Among Latinos, the turnaround is even more significant. In 2020, Biden defeated Trump by 65 to 32 among Latinos. Now, Trump is actually ahead of Biden by eight points in the McLaughlin and you, poll. And what do you think about five that? points in the Roper poll. What's your feel behind I that? I think the Hispanics are going to go heavily Republican. I do too, and but I think why? you're going to see. Well, because, I know the answer, but I want to hear because it. Because they, the same problems that drove them to leave their native countries in the first place are now here in America. Like I said about your hands are dirty and you wipe them on a clean right. towel. The towel's now dirty. Yeah, right. And the same gangs that drove them out of El Salvador, that drove them out of northern Mexico, that drove them out of Guatemala, the same leftist threats that drove them out of Colombia and Venezuela and Nicaragua and Cuba, all of those factors are now at play driving them out of the Democratic and Party. Are, and because of the Democratic Party is the reason why those things are right. now in play. So so the fundamental dynamics of the electorate have shifted. The ground has changed under the Democrats' feet. Now, while that's going on, we still have the incredibly terrible presidency of Joe Biden. 
which is making these trends significantly worse. And let's start with the fact that he's never there. <laughs> Hit it. Well, you know, you know he's not there because he doesn't have a tan. So in his mind, he's there. No, no, his body is too. In the past 19 days, really, he has had only two public events on his White House schedule. 17 days off, and here's the deal. December 23rd, he left for vacation at Camp David. December 24th, he was at Camp David. December 25th, he was at Camp David. December 26th, he returned from Camp David, but didn't go to work. On September, December 27th, he left for vacation in the Virgin Islands. No kidding. December 28th, he was in the Virgin Islands. December 29th, December 30th, December 31st, January 1st, all in the Virgin Islands. January 2nd, he returned to the U.S., but he didn't do any work. January 3rd and January 4th, nothing on the schedule. January 5th, he gave an angry speech at Valley Forge and then left immediately for vacation in Delaware. January 6th, January 7th, he was on vacation in Delaware. January 8th, he gave an angry speech in South Carolina, attended a funeral visitation in Texas, and in January 9th and January 10th, did nothing. There was nothing on the schedule. I wonder where Obama was at this point. <laughs> so, Do you think he was sitting in the White House? Now, now of course, Biden not being there is not all a bad thing. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's, it's got a lot to recommend it. But it would be nice if the president were there, I guess. Uh, when uh, Austin, the defense secretary, went to the hospital and was and still in the hospital, but for the first week didn't tell anybody he was there, uh, that's normal for the Biden administration. Nobody's home. And uh, they're, they're just not there. He isn't, he's just not there at all. Uh, and uh, so that I think that the that his record as president is uniquely bad. I mean, it's a record of an invalid. It's a record of somebody that shouldn't be at work and should be in a rehab center. And uh, it's just very clear that this guy is not up to the job. And that's beginning to become very manifest um, to all voters and particularly to blacks, Latinos, and the former members of the Democratic coalition. Um, it's just very clear that we do not really have a president at this point. We have an empty chair. And if there is a body sitting in the empty chair, he's got an empty head. <laughs> and if he has anything in his head, it's out of date, it's senile, and it's, and it's uh, simplistic. So you'd rather you don't have one. Thank you, sir. Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Hey, welcome back to Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro and sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hey guys, now's your chance to do it, to hit it. Do you want to sleep with Marilyn Monroe? 
Well, she's no. not much of a bargain now, but she sure was years ago. Uh. And here's your chance to spend eternity with Marilyn. A mausoleum crypt at the Pierce Brothers Westwood Village Memorial Park and Mortuary in Los Angeles is going on the block for auction in March. Uh, the spot, which can hold a full body or ashes, is located in the Corridor of Memories, Wall B, Crypt 3, one row above and four spaces to the left of the Some Like It Hot and Seven Year Itch bombshell. Uh, that's Marilyn. It's the ultimate way to embrace Hollywood's glamour and history, gushed Darren Julian, CEO of the auction house. The opening bid for the crypt is $60,000 and expected to fetch as much as $400,000 at the auction. Get yep. <laughs> This is your chance, guys. Wait, some like it hot. I guess if you have your ashes. Yeah, right. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Come on, seriously? That's good. You think somebody's going to actually take yeah. this? So there's a record that uh, a guy once asked Marilyn, am I the first man to sleep with you? And she said, if you doze off, you will be. <laughs> 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 that's pretty good. You're a funny guy, Dick Morris. No, she was a funny girl. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> sheltered little Trump says you were just a sheltered little kid from Manhattan so um, the question that a lot of minorities are asking and blacks are asking is what did Biden do for blacks and the answer is make them poor hit it I got plenty of nothing and nothing's plenty for me so that's the answer uh, the percentage of black households living in poverty has increased from 11%, from 15% under Trump to 24% under Biden. Uh, 5% more black households living in poverty. Um, when Trump first took office, it was 11%, then it was 18 then it was 15 under Biden was 21, 22, and now it's 24. Wow. So when blacks, when the blacks switch and vote Republican, one of the big reasons for that is that they've got, they're getting plenty of nothing from Biden and they're feeling it acutely. One important subset of that is that a million government workers have left labor unions under Biden. In the past, the Labor movement has lost members dramatically in the last 20 years, but that was in the private sector. While, pub while private sector unionization was dropping, uh, the public sector unionization rose dramatically. And, Meaning uh, police, police, uh, fire, government workers. Private is just whatever. Yeah. You know, right. Overall, combining public and private, 20% of workers were in unions in 83, mm -hmm. and now only 10% are. 1.2 million people have left labor unions in the last two years. Wow. And their average savings in terms of the amount of extra money they're making, because they don't have to pay dues, is $1,000 a piece. And overall... You think that's part of the reason? Must be part of it the, is reason. the reason. Sure. And overall, union wages since the last 10 years have gone up by 3.6% a year, but non-union wages 
have gone up by 7.0 percent, twice as rapidly, from 13 to 23. Where your polls? Where'd you get this stuff? No, this is from Bureau of Labor Statistics. Wow. So, the there's this massive move away from unions. It was catalyzed by the case of Janus versus AFSME, AFSME, American Federation of State and Municipal Employees. And in 2003, they ruled that you could not be required to join a union and or to pay union dues. And when that decision came down, people en masse began to flock away from labor unions. Because most of the unions, you had to join the union at one point? That's right. It was a closed shop. If you weren't, didn't join the union, you couldn't keep your job. Right, 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 right. So people began to flee the labor unions. And uh, the underlying economics of it was not enough to militate for uh, paying that amount in jobs. Hit it. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. I love that song. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> That's great. I love to play it for Cats Matitis from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great guy. I he is him. a good guy. He oh, I good. love him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Take this job. No, but what did I play for him? Uh, Cats in the Crater? No. uh, Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you see, the the move that we're looking at in the vote, the swing from three-point generic ballot to nine-point Republican generic ballot, the erosion in the black vote from 83% of the vote down to a minimum of 63 or maximum of 63, Mm -hmm. probably (laughs) less, the swing in the Latino vote from... Uh, Trump losing it by 30 points to probably winning it by five. All of those shifts, uh, are, and, and the shift in labor union membership, declining in union membership and therefore declining in voting habits. In 1983, 20% of Americans belonged to labor unions, now only 10% do. And, uh, Say again, 20% 20 now? down to 10%, wow. half as much. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, now only 6% of private sector workers belong to labor unions. The only reason they're still alive is 33% of public employees belong to labor unions, but that's dropping every year. They probably have more power, the unions, in the public. Yeah, well, the big thing is that a private sector union really has no power. Uh, they say we can raise our wages or we're going to strike, and they say strike and we'll fire you and we'll move the plant to South Carolina or we'll move it to Mexico. Right. And uh, that cudgel over the heads of the union members stops them from any effective action. Now, when the government is the employee employer, they can't do that because they can't move the jobs because they're connected to the government. And they can't move to another country because they work for the government. Right. And then... So they can strike and... And be effective. Right. And they don't really need to strike because the same unions that are getting the dues from these folks uh, are their political force. So when they go to the bargaining table and the government negotiates with the unions, in fact, the government is on both sides of the bargaining aisle. On the one hand, they're the union, and the other hand, they're the people who are electing the government. And uh, they can control what the government says, what the governor or the mayor says, just as much as they can control what the union Basically says. Basically lobbyists. Well, they're bargaining sort of. with themselves, really. Right. And as a result, there's no effective check and balance mm. on wages. So from no that competition. Point of view, yeah, so from that point of view, 
it makes sense to join a union if you're a public employee, but not if you're private. And it really doesn't make sense to do it as a public employee either, because the union is not permitted to deny you raises that the rest of them get simply because you don't join the union. In other words, you're, you're just a freeloader in the union, mm-hmm. and the union can will raise your pay by as much as it can, and uh, you're not benefiting, especially because you're a union member. You're just making a voluntary contribution to the union. And like you said, the pay raise is uh, 7%. Seven non, percent non non-union and three and a half percent right. union so per year over the last decade. Wow! So people are rethinking their union membership, and as they do that, the number of uh, the number of union members has declined sharply, and that has really screwed up the Democrats' capacity to win elections because they don't have the power to tell the union guys to vote their exactly. way. That's basically it, right? Let's go to Russ in New York. Hi, Russ. Hey, Russ. Hey, Dick, thanks for being there every week for uh, us, you, you and Doug. And if you, have you. This, uh, un- if you have this university that's financed by the Poison Ivy League, I'd certainly go if Doug's teaching motorcycle maintenance and <laughs> if, you're te- if, if you're teaching us how to become president. <laughs> I, I think it's an important thing you're to right. point out that what, what's different from 2016 with blacks and Hispanics, they're in a different country. We're at a, in a country that's almost at war, and... Blacks and Hispanics die proportionally more in the military. We have to admit that. But what I want to ask you definitely, Dick, is will will spreading global conflict, you know, in Ukraine, uh, Gaza, uh, Venezuela, Taiwan, will this conflict allow Biden to go back in the basement? Thanks a lot, Dick. Well, it might force him back in the basement. Yeah. Because uh, he's providing no leadership. And it becomes increasingly clear that these wars are being caused, really, or enabled by the lack of presidential leadership. And uh, as that happens, it's it's taking quite a toll against Biden. In the past, wars have hurt presidents uh, because they've taken positions on them that voters don't agree with, or they've been hurting Americans or killing Americans in causes that voters find questionable. This is the first time that a war and wars all over are actually hurting an incumbent president because he's not doing a damn thing, uh, because he's being blamed for it, because he's so passive and so weak and so inactive that a war shows him up and shows everybody how bad he's been. Look at that list of vacations I just read off to you. In the, with, with wars breaking out in Ukraine and Israel and, as you say, Venezuela and a bunch of other countries, uh, this this record becomes less and less tolerable as the international situation itself becomes more dangerous. So I think that the global conflicts and the uh, escalation of conflicts in Ukraine, in Israel, and in Venezuela are, are I think, moving people uh, to vote against Biden. Let me just explain Venezuela because I haven't had the chance to do so on the air. Um, Venezuela is located next to the country of Guyana, G-U-I-A-N-A. And Guyana used to be owned by the British, and now it's it's been independent for the last 50 years. And uh, it's a poor country, very poor. It became known internationally when uh, when, uh, Congressman Ryan uh, went there with the 
uh, with the religious fanatics there and drank the Kool-Aid with them. Oh, and Jim Jones? Were, Tim, Tim Jones, I'm Jim sorry. Jones. And they were all poisoned. Oh, and yeah. uh, they said they were shuffling off their mortal coils uh, to go with God. And uh, that country is still one of the poorest in the world. But oil has been discovered, and a lot of it, in the border region between Venezuela and Guyana. And Maduro, the head of Venezuela, is massing troops on the border and might invade Guyana and try to conquer the oil territory that's about half of Guyana. And if that happens, the United States probably will be involved, and we might even send troops uh, to protect that against the Marxists in Venezuela and for Guyana, which is a free country. So all over the place, these wars are raising the importance of having an active president who's going to be aggressive and safeguarding our country and all of that. Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's got his name written all over it. Okay, thank you. We'll be back in a minute. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Guess I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. One of the big reasons that uh, Mexico is not cooperating with Biden like they did with Trump to uh, keep immigrants on the Mexican side of the border and the new the president of Mexico, Lopez Obrador, who's a way over Marxist, uh, told Trump that he was not going to help him. And then Trump said, I'll cut off your free trade privileges and impose a tariff on you by Monday. It's now Friday. And by Monday, Obrador said, oh, we would be pleased to send you 28,000 <laughs> troops. And they've stayed, stayed at the border during the entire Trump administration and then withdrew when Biden became president and the door opened to the massive in-migration we're having. One of the big reasons for that is that Mexicans in America send home $56 billion a year wow. uh, to their relatives, their families and in Mexico. The average Mexican living in the United States sends home $400 a month. Wait, but do we know if that's illegal or illegal? They're illegal and illegal combined. Combined. But the idea is that it's a massive amount. It's like $5,000 a year. And uh, that's a big financial incentive uh, for, the, for the Mexicans to move here and get their families to move here. And it's, it's just to put it in perspective... The total amount of American foreign aid that we give out that goes to other countries is about $35 billion. And the amount that is being sent home by individual Mexicans living here is $56 billion. Oh, my God. So the, this, is, this is a gigantic source of money and revenue for the countries. It dwarfs American foreign aid. How do we fix that? Well, there's no, the first way you fix it is you make sure that illegal immigrants don't come in. Uh, legal immigrants can do whatever they like with their money. Sure. And good for them that they're spending it on their poorer families. Right. They're paying taxes. They're trying to help their people sure. live. Um, but 
but the idea that the Mexican government wants Mexicans to come here uh, is is fundamental to this whole thing. And whereas Trump made Mexico switch sides and work against illegal immigration, Biden has let it go back to where it was before, encouraging illegal immigration. That really was brilliant what Trump did. It sure was. Let's go to Edward in Tampa. Hi, Edward. Yeah, dig, Doug. Well, I don't miss the weather in Chicago, but I'm glad I'm in Tampa now. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see that uh, footage where the cartel took over that uh, TV station in Ecuador? And I'm thinking, no. yeah. if there, yeah, if there's no security, these people are going to pack their bags and they're going to head north. So, what yeah. do you think about doing a military action mm-hmm. if President Trump gets back in there? Well, Trump is likes not to do military action. He has a lot of other ways of making you do what he wants. Right. Uh, but let me talk about Ecuador. Uh, Ecuador recently had an election and installed a conservative government. And uh, it had previously had a Marxist government. It was one of those countries that, that Chavez and Maduro uh, from Venezuela tried to control. And Mexico, Ecuador, for reasons having nothing to do with the politics, has become the gathering point for people coming into the United States, illegal immigration. They become kind of a hub, uh, not because of any government action, just by private people, for illegal immigration into the United States. And the Ecuador people have been protesting against it. They've been going crazy about it. And uh, one of the TV stations in Ecuador was publicizing this, and the migrants invaded the TV station and took it over and stopped them from broadcasting the truth to their people. So... Um, and I think that obviously the – but the, the key thing for us to understand about this is this poison of America's borders being open and six million people coming here illegally in the three years of the Biden administration has imposed such amazing pressure on other countries uh, that it's distorting everything that's going on. Uh, they They have to come here. They have to open their borders. The cartels are making vast amounts of money from this. As I said before, the Mexican government is making a vast amount of money from this. And the incentives for illegal immigration are just becoming more and more obvious. Let's go to um, Terry in Texas, please. Hi, Terry. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mr. Morris. Um, You know, the Republican Party keeps pushing this thing that blacks and Hispanics are voting Republican. That's a bold-faced lie. The past elections, that blacks and Hispanics, Asians, overwhelmingly voted Democratic. Yeah, they are, uh, but they're ancient history. Uh, the, uh, they're ancient history. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll correct you when you're wrong. The, uh, it is true that Biden got 87% of the black vote in 2020. Polling now predicts he's down to 63%. And it is true that Biden carried the Hispanic vote by 30 points four years ago, three years ago, but now the polls show he's losing it by five. And I can't prove you're wrong or that I'm right, but wait till election day and then you'll see it. Um, the, uh, the, let's go to uh, Pamela in New Jersey. Hi, Pam. Okay. Um, the court has, the, the Biden administration's appetite 
for regulation and for control is itself out of control. And uh, the best example of this is how they're trying to regulate appliances in the United States. Uh, and, and it's becoming enormous. Uh, the Biden administration is cracking down on gas stoves, water heaters, and other popular appliances, all in the name of stopping climate change. But now the Court of Appeals has blocked their regulating dishwashers and washing machines. They, the Court of Appeals found that the energy-efficient washing machines and dishwashers often need more cycles, which ultimately use more energy and water. The administrative record contains ample evidence that Department of Energy's efficiency standards likely do the opposite. They make Americans use more energy and more water for the simple reason that the purportedly, that the purported energy efficient appliances just don't work. That's a quote from the court. So Biden is attempting to make all of our appliances electric and change them, change our stoves from gas to electric, uh, change our dishwashers or washing machines and all of that. And uh, the problem is they're breaking down. They're not working. And that has led the courts to, re to consider the legal basis for a mandate that could be imposed on, on, pe on people to buy certain appliances. Uh, now, the background of this is, of course, that the assumption here is that when you have a gas stove, uh, it's emitting gas. You know, that's how the flame burns. But when you have an electric stove, there's no flame, so there's no uh, energy. Wrong. The electricity has to be generated. Right. And in our economy today, uh, about 75% of our energy is generated by non-renewable sources. Uh, the renewables are nuclear, which is about 15%, wind, uh, hydro, which is about... 10% and then about 8% that are renewable resources like wind and, and uh, turbines and solar batteries. So about 65% of it comes from non-renewable sources, uh, largely fossil fuels. Used to be oil, now it's mainly natural gas. But this assumption that somehow or other uh, when an electric stove or an electric water heater is involved, you're not contributing to climate change. Yeah, it's invisible. Yeah, it's invisible. The, the boogeyman brings it. It's a lot like inflation, which we talked about earlier right. in the show. Mm -hmm. It's designed to create an appearance that you're fighting climate change, right. that you're complying with the environment, whereas in fact you're not. And They should uh, be in China checking out the little slave kids uh, getting all the, the coal, all the stuff they need, mining. That's in Africa, but yeah. Africa. Right, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I was thinking we, of the, uh, we got the point. The yeah. Chinese do own the factories. Uh, uh. Let's go to Steve in Brooklyn. Hey, Steve. Hi, you're so correct about the deceptiveness of inflation, but there's also what I, to borrow the term from the COVID era, there's an economic comorbidity known as, uh, very far and wide, as the incredible shrinking package. The deliberate attempt on big corporations to make it appear that maybe two of three dimensions is exactly the same, but you won't notice that they take the Hershey bar and they keep the width and, and length the same, but the height is shortened by 6%. You're saying the actual physical packaging. That's correct. That's right. It's a deliberate attempt to deceive the, Absolutely. the shopper. 
Yep. That's like Christmas. You see these this great big package under the tree, and you're salivating all night long, waiting to see what's in there. And you want to go downstairs and rip open the package, but your parents don't let you touch it until Christmas Day. And then they open it, and there's what a Hershey bar inside. Wait, I I did that once. I got a big gigantic box. It was like a three by three feet, yeah. and then I had like a little watch in or something yeah. small, and I t- did like ten boxes. All and you had to unwrap each one. Well, if if you have a Rolex watch inside, it's worth the it's effort. Worth it, right? But, but the Hershey bar is not worth it. So, Steve, what are you saying that the overpackaging is is on the rise in this country? Two things together, like comorbidities, add up to an intention on the part of government and also big corporation business to deceive the average. Do not believe your lying senses, is what it boils down to. Yeah. They're giving my, you my wife, Eileen McGann, was, my wife, Eileen McGann, was one of the leaders of the consumer movement in the 80s and 90s. And one of the pieces of legislation she got through was to, that they have to put the net weight of the contents on like a cereal box. So right. it couldn't just be that the box is bigger. You had to have the net weight and you could compare net weights. That's what you're talking about, right? That, that is. And what happened, they happen at the same time. They lower the price a little bit, but they don't tell you at the same time that, let's say, the old pint of orange juice or the, uh, the former gallon of ice cream. They've shaved off the dimensions a bit, so while you're lowering, while they've uh, raised the price a bit, you don't notice, you don't think to notice that, hey, the, the whole car parton is much shorter and smaller. Yeah, right. Now, ice cream, I've noticed, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm not well, so sure about, you know, Ovaltine, but yeah. It's the intentionality to deceive us. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Stephen. I really appreciate you calling and well, when I, sharing well, I, that with me. I was in advertising way back when for the longest time as an illustrator. And even the advertising, when they would have something like light and lively or light this, they, they had to be specific. The laws changed where light couldn't mean yeah. light color. Right. The FDA you know, had to change it. Yeah. We had to change Except all the pure it. had to. Be right. defined. Right. Thank you, Steve. That's a great Thanks, perspective. Steve. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how New York City is kicking kids out of high school oh, in order to make room for illegal immigrants. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. Hey, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show. This is... Dick Morris with Doug DePiro. Hello, Dick Morris. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. 2,000 kids in James Madison and other high schools in New York, public schools, have been thrown out of the school and forced to stay at home and learn, quote, remotely, which we all know doesn't happen, so that New York City could make room for illegal immigrants at at Kent City's in the Floyd Benfield. The city was worried that the tents would crumble 
from the torrential rains and high winds. So the migrants were transferred to the gym at James Madison High School, five miles away, and the kids were thrown out of school. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Great for the kids, but not the parents. Well, not so great for the kids. By the way, one of the things about kids is that the the normal truancy rate, the lack of attendance in schools in the United States, has gone up about 15% since the end of COVID. And, uh, Why, the, they got used to just, uh, they got not used to staying to home mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not going to school. Nice. And they, and they never got them back. Mm-hmm. The part of the problem is that they, that we know the kids who were in schools during the COVID two year period do worse on math tests and reading tests than kids who went to school. And we know that remote schooling works for the elites but had nothing to do with the average kids. But now it's becoming clear that the kids aren't even showing up. They're not even returning to school. The habit of not going to school has overtaken the habit of going to school. And what has the percentage of that gone up? It's gone up 10%, the truancy rate in the United States as a result of the COVID restrictions. Now, the feds are lifting restrictions on immigrants from China. And uh, this is causing real concerns in the national security establishment. It isn't just Mexicans that are coming in over the southern border. It's illegal entrance from all countries. And 18,000 people who are here illegally in the United States came here from China in 2023. And 95% of them are single adults, most of them men of military age. Oh, God. So there's this real concern about the enemy within, the idea of, of China shipping large numbers of people to the United States. The administration has reduced the number of questions asked of illegal Chinese immigrants. Why would they on do that? The US because they're paid off, because Joe Biden got $31 million. Right. In your book. And this is part of the payoff. Right. Uh, until recently, Chinese immigrants were required to answer 40 questions about their background. But that's been cut to only five. And human smugglers know the five questions they'll be asked and coach them how to answer. Where previously Customs and Border Protection agents conducted searches of Chinese national cell phones to ascertain if they might be terrorists, human smugglers, or enemy agents, that is no longer the case. So we're open and exposed and vulnerable to immigrants coming in from China. And uh, this is, is part of the huge flaws of the Biden administration. People need to get your book and read that book. What's it called again? Corrupt. Corrupt. <laughs> the Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money. You have to get it. You have to so, read this. And it's not just across the border that we're talking about. Uh, the number of Chinese exchange students in the United States is now 345,000, twice that of any other country. You know, exchange students used to be how oh, well, nice that going to get exposed to American culture and we're going to make them into pro-American and how can you live here and not love the country and the contrast with China and all of that stuff. But that was yesterday and today is today. The uh, 345,000 Chinese students studying in the United States. Yeah. In one year? That's cumulative here right now. 
Oh my God! How could that? And the be? number of people, the second largest country, I forget what it is, is like a hundred and fifty thousand. That's ex- exchange, so that means we have three hundred. No, it's just called Americans. exchange, but it's not. So that's not the same. No, no, right? No, we have very few Americans studying in China. Uh, somebody once told me that Europe is a museum, Japan is a nursing home, and China is a jail. <laughs> so. Very few people want to study in jail. 320,000. 245,000. And uh, it's just incredible. And they are a gigantic national security risk, particularly since we're talking mainly about men of military age and the potential for sabotage and behind-the-lines efforts against the United States. In colleges. Are enormous. And subversion, of course, on college campuses. There's a thing called Confucius Institutes that are centers of Chinese propaganda. And they're in hundreds and hundreds of elementary and secondary schools in the United States. And this means? And school districts get subsidies from China to open these Confucius Institutes. And they're supposed to be about Chinese culture and Chinese history and stuff like that. But in fact, they've been linked to sabotage and espionage. They're a little bit like the uh, like the mosques in the United States being linked to uh, terrorism. And uh, there's and under the guise of multicultural studies, uh, Chinese are putting their fingerprints all over American kids. And uh, and they're not hearing the truth about China. They're only hearing what the Chinese it want. It should be called hear. confusion. Yeah, Confusion Institute. That's God, right. That's horrible. Let's go to Tony in Clifton. Hi, Hi Tony. Hello, hello, Dick and Doug. Hi, um, Tony. Listen, one of the things that's really impressed me this week was when the illegal immigrants came into the high school, um, and um, they had a sense of, "Gee, we got in, no problem." Right. And something really hit me. And that is, there's two visuals I think the American people need to see. When FBI director tells you that we are on a heightened alert, I think President Trump should use that in his commercials. And then you say illegal aliens taking over, going into people's homes. People need the visual in his mm-hmm. in his um, ads, just like right. Ronald Reagan had his, because mm-hmm. that FBI director statement really hits home, and yep. they don't hear it enough. Now, this country is compromised, you know, and people just have a sense we're good. Now, your question, uh, a thought occurred to me as you were asking it, Tony, and I appreciate you asking it. Is yeah, we get we get that with the influx of foreign immigrants, uninvited, not allowed, coming into America, six million people since Biden became president, the population of the U.S. is about uh, 330 million. So you're talking about 2% of the population coming in under Biden illegally. Um, And 6 million people is more than the population of a great many states. Uh, The other point that that gets to me is that at the same time, we are becoming equal and like the rest of the world in so many respects that are demeaning on undermining our civilization. Uh, yeah. For example, the, 
the our educational standards are lowering uh with uh with our schools closing and over covid and because Just of dumbing down or dumbing kids. down among among in the racial sure. rhetoric uh and uh the crime and gangs in the united states are increasing dramatically and we are becoming increasingly like the central american countries in fact i checked it out the other day and the homicide rate in the murder capital of the world which used to be el salvador has dropped dramatically because they've all come to the United States and are killing people here. Oh my God! And uh, the murder, murder. What, what state do you think that's biggest, to, or do you don't know yet? Well, it's it's California. California. Yeah, and uh, the uh, and in effect, they're transplanting their problem uh, to the United States by transplanting the people that are causing the problem to the United States. And of course, when we have open trade and free flow of goods, we are forcing down the wages in the United States to the global level. Sure. And that's why the globalists suppose trade barriers. Uh, they say we should have free flow of goods and free flow of people. The Americans say, yeah, but free flow of people forces wages down to the le- lowest common denominator because you can always hire someone to work for less. Right. And free flow of products means People buy the cheapest product, and the and it and becomes a race to the bottom. And they're going, so they're going low tide and keeping the tide low instead of and raising up. Trump stopped that in two respects that are very important. Uh, the first is that he closed the border and he stopped that flow of immigra- illegal immigration that had a downward effect on wages. And one of the big reasons that wages have gone down under Biden. Uh, is that which I cited earlier in the in the episode? Uh, is that the is the competition with people who are here illegally? And then secondly, Trump did something that was amazing. I've talked about on other shows. Uh, Trump went to Mexico and said, "Okay, we'll let your cars come into the U.S. for free. We won't tax them. There won't be any tariffs, so people can buy the cars more cheaply." if they're made in Mexico. But Mexico has to agree that the cars, that the people who work on the cars are all paid a minimum of $15 an hour. Brilliant. Which is way, way above the normal wage they were paid. They were being paid a couple of bucks an hour, and now they have to be paid 15 And uh, the percentage of parts that are made by people making $15 an hour or more has increased, so it now has to be like 80% of the parts have to be by workers who are paid that level. And this is also slowed down the immigration into America because people are making more money yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. So that's a twofer. Yeah, and but it's all gone now because yeah, right. of Biden. Yeah, yeah. But it was a brilliant policy. Brilliant. Normally, open borders kindles a race to the bottom. Give me the cheapest people who I can hire, who I can pay the least to. I mean, <clears> just the way he, he, he did it with, listen... I'll, I'll, I'll take the I'll defer the taxes, not defer, uh, eliminate the taxes if your people get like how, this guy plays a Stradivarius. Yes. He's playing three D chess. Yeah, he does. He, he did. Really does absolutely. And Peter Navarro, the oh, he's trade great. rep, deserves a lot of credit for him. that. This is the first trade agreement in the history of the world that created a race to the top, not a race to the bottom right. in wages. And when Tony of Clifton warns us that we're in danger of becoming equal with the rest of the world, it's nowhere more evident 
than in wages as a result of people coming into the U.S. Let's go to Kathy in New Jersey. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Good afternoon, guys. I have a quick question. Um, I'm assuming we still have legal immigration coming into this nation. Um, yes. My question is, what countries are legal people coming in from? Do we have any European yeah. nations anymore yeah, we, with people that are bringing... Yeah, uh, we, we do. We have lots, particularly from Eastern Europe. Coming in the front door. Coming in the front door. We have one million legal immigrants coming into the United States every year. How many? One million? One million. Uh-huh. And they're legal. Uh, and they're mainly... They're from every country. They're from India and Bangladesh and all over. But a lot of them, in answer to your question, are Eastern European from Poland and Hungary and Mm -hmm. places that used to be communist. So we have an open door, but it's a restricted open door. It's not just come over. And the issue is not just that these folks are coming here illegally. It's who they are. Uh, They're gang members. They're drug smugglers. They're human traffickers. Trump said it when he announced his candidacy on the escalator at Trump Tower. He said, these are bad people coming into the United States. They're the kind of people we do not want in America. Well, that that is the point I was trying to make, and that is good people that want to come to this country to contribute to the country, educational people, people uh, that are educated and bring a a, a trade or something. But it's so frightening, this whole... This whole thing is so upsetting. To, it has to be to all American people. We, we're scared. Our foundation and, is crumbling. And we're, and we're not taking in families with children anxious for a better future. We're taking in military-aged men, single men, without families that are here either to move up economically or to steal from us and rob us. We have Thank to start you. using military-aged men when we talk about this. It's a good term, yeah. seriously. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Welcome to the. Well, you should turn to WABC and listen to Dick Morris and Doug DePiro. What you should <laughs> I, do. I, I thought it was a Doug DePiro Dick Morris. Yeah, show. it's kind of like that. <laughs> like that. And uh, we're sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Doug has an interesting story about someone who wants to come into this country illegally. We have a good friend in Argentina, and he's a wealthy gentleman, and he was telling me twice now that we're down there that he's been trying to get uh, legalization into the country, right? And he's have nothing but a problem. He's buying beautiful land. He's opening up businesses in Pennsylvania, New York, and he's having the hardest time getting in. He's got to leave after three months or whatever it is. I told him, go to Mexico and walk in. Yeah. You know, but that's horrible that he's having a hard time. Yeah. And he wants to bring prosperity. It is terrible. Uh, and when there were programs to encourage people to come here legally and to uh, admit people who might help the economy, uh, they usually tied 
to politics. They're usually tied to um, to favors that were done by people. For example, there's a program called the HB15 program, H15, which uh, I'm getting the initials wrong. Whatever, we'll get you close. It says that if you create jobs in the United States for half a million dollars of, of revenue, uh, you can get a visa to come into the United States. Okay. And uh, the, but under the Clinton administration, Clinton, on the in the years since, he, Bill Clinton's brother-in-law, Hugh Rodham, um, set up a business with Terry McAuliffe, who was the governor of Virginia, uh, to bring Chinese immigrants into the United States, who were connected with Huawei, the company that is behind. Uh, global espionage through the 5G network and has been sanctioned by the American government. And Hugh Rodham, Tony's, Hillary's brother, was hired by Huawei to push this provision. And they got in without any scrutiny under Mayorkas, who was the current director of immigration and homeland security in the United States. And uh, I wanted them to ask him about that during the confirmation hearings, but nobody did. But What's his, his name? You rot them? What's his? You rot them. Rot, rot them? You rot them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, whatever. I can't help myself. That's okay. Uh, New um, York. So, uh, so when they are coming here legally to create jobs here, it's usually a result of political uh, subterfuge. Go to Jim in New York. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jim. Hello, Dick Morris. Jim Burke, how are you? Good. Good. I have uh, two parts to my call. The first, uh, I know about a half of 1% of what you know, so I'm not going to pretend to uh, be able to inform anybody of anything. So well, I'm bringing it up. up to you, which you're good. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd like you to educate the listeners about something I'm sure you know and remember, the monkey business vote. I think yeah. the girl's name was Donna Rice. Yeah, who Gary was the presidential Hart. candidate? Who was the Gary uh, Hart? Who, Gary Hart. It was Gary Hart. Could you yeah. educate the people about that? And then after that, and I'm, I'm sure you can remember a hundred things that I don't remember. I want to tie that into what's going on now with uh, Susan Rice. But um, well, Susan could, Rice, I, think, I don't think she's been accused of anything bad, except being a liberal. Um, well, and, she did that. Benghazi thing, yeah, yeah, she lied about Benghazi and a lot of stuff like that. And And, but she is the conduit, you know. Having football games, you have the guy who plays on the line, but runs into he's not much good. But they keep him there because he's the messenger that goes back and forth for the coach and tells the quarterback what plays to play. He runs into the huddle. Susan Rice is the messenger, and Barack Obama is the quarterback. Right, right, uh, and she does it. No, so, Barack Obama's on the sideline. The coach tells Susan Wright to go into yeah. the huddle and tell Joe the quarterback. Biden. Joe yeah. Biden's in the huddle. Right. Right. Let's so, get this straight, Dick Morris. Okay, but um, <laughs> to go back to monkey business, that was a boat owned by Senator yeah. Gary, or owned by somebody who let Gary Senator Hart. Gary Hart yeah. use it. Remember the picture in the in the Daily News was a woman he was with, mm-hmm. and the only reason it became a political scandal is that before the scandal broke. There were rumors that Hart was doing this, and he said, I'm not doing it, I'm not having an affair, and he invited the media to follow him around to find that he was not having an affair. He said, it's hard for me to prove a negative, but you guys follow me and you'll see it's a negative. 
and the next freaking day he shows up in this boat with this woman <laughs> and, and I remember and the then, picture they're necking on the boat and stuff <laughs> And Idiot. It knocked him out of the presidential race. That wasn't really and, a small move, I don't think. Yeah, and it had an interesting impact. It was in 1984, and Bill Clinton was considering running for president in 1988. It was 86, I think. And he was going to run in 1988. And when the scandal broke, he decided not to run for president. Because of his... To my disappointment, because he knew what he had in his closet. All right, let him yeah. forget about it a little bit. Right. Let it die down. Go to Jerry in New Jersey. Hi, Jerry. Interesting. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Jerry. New Jersey, Jerry. About this, uh, Mitch McConnell and um, Charles Schumer, Chuck Schumer there in the Senate, they've got a bill, it looks like, or they're attaching it to the Ukraine bill, I believe. Uh, they want to give illegals the right to work. Yeah, but it's not Mitch McConnell and Chuck It's not Mitch McConnell. It's Lankford. Forget his first name, the senator from Oklahoma. And he's a Republican. He's been designated their point man in the Senate for Republicans to negotiate the immigration bill. And what he's pushing is absolutely outrageous. And it's not well known. Uh, but it's horrible. Uh, let me just read you what it includes. The deal that's been proposed that they're actively considering now would make it legal to, for another hundred, for another 150,000 illegal immigrants to come into the United States every month and plans to increase the number of green cards by 50,000 annually. And this deal is sponsored by Chuck Schumer, which you'd understand. And I forget his first name, Lankford, I think maybe Terry, right. who's a senator, I think, from Oklahoma. And he's negotiating, Oklahoma, yeah, James Lankford, actively promoting a potential border deal striving to win over his Republican colleagues, both in the Senate and the House. However, the deal, still not finalized, has sparked considerable disagreement and controversy within the GOP. Lankford, the principal Republican negotiator, has intensified his efforts. According to The Hill, Lankford led a meeting of Senate Republicans and also spoke at the Republican Study Committee's weekly luncheon. Uh, and uh, that's a and that's a study group I've spoken before for conservative congressmen. But why they are doing this, allowing 150,000 illegal immigrants to come into the country every month, uh, 1.8 million a year, when we're getting six million a year coming here illegally, is is just beyond me. I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, California has done it again. California, which has promised. Uh, to cover all medical expenses for illegal immigrants. That's a key reason that they come to the United States. Has just announced that it will fund, fully fund sex change operations for illegal immigrants who want to come to the U.S. So you want to change your country, you want to change your party, and you can change your gender. All paid for by the state of the insane, oh South Carolina. Wow. On that, Dick Morris, this was fun. It's an honor to be here with you.